Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 240. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit therapynotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code THERAPYCHAT when you sign up for a free trial at therapynotes.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. I can't believe I'm saying this, but as I record this, Therapy Chat is celebrating its fifth birthday. Therapy Chat started August 15th, 2015, and here it is, August 2020. Therapy Chat has now been in existence for five years. I I honestly can't believe that as I say it. been a long road and it's also gone by very fast. So as of our fifth birthday of Therapy Chat, I tell you another milestone which is coinciding, which is reaching 3 million downloads. Actually, as of today, Therapy Chat is at 3,040,516 downloads. Very cool. We're getting about a million downloads a year now, which is very neat, weird, (laughs) crazy, and awesome. So that wouldn't be happening without the support of all of you. And I am so grateful to all of you who listen for making Therapy Chat what it is. 2020 has been an extremely challenging year. And as I'm sure all of you know, it's been a lot different but glad that Therapy Chat is still going strong. 
And I must add that having the support of our sponsors that have helped keep Therapy Chat going over these years has been invaluable, particularly Therapy Notes, which has been our longest running sponsor. Thank you so much, Therapy Notes, for making this work sustainable through your sponsorships. And there is space for another sponsor on Therapy Chat for the last part of 2020. So if you own a business that would be a good fit for Therapy Chat's audience of mostly therapists, I welcome you to reach out and get in touch with me if you're interested in how you could become a sponsor. And if you are a listener and you would like to let me know of a sponsor of a product service that you think would be a good sponsor, please get in touch with me and you can go to the therapychatpodcast.com website and leave a message on SpeakPipe, which would be wonderful. I always love hearing from you. It would also be impossible for Therapy Chat to keep going without you, our listeners. And I'm specifically thinking of those of you who are patrons through Patreon. I want to send out a special five-year birthday shout out to all of my newest Patreon members. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Debbie Glander. Thank you, Jennifer Cox. Thank you, Zach Zabrowski. Thank you, Laura Craftsalot, all the way from Australia. Thank you, Linda Dunphy. Thank you, Linda Vidiland. Thank you, Stefan Becker, LMHC. Thank you, Morgan Gerard. Thank you, Janessa Nickel. Hope I pronounced that right. Thank you, Radika Kosley. Thank you, Megan Hagquist. Thank you, Chelsea Hughes. Thank you, Lori Elred. Eldred. Apologies, Lori. Thank you, Lori Eldred. Thank you, Miriam Lockhart. And thank you, Linda Cabbage. So grateful to all of you for supporting Therapy Chat. And if you're interested in becoming a Patreon member, just go to patreon.com slash therapy chat, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash therapy chat. So for this week with the fifth anniversary of therapy chat, I wanted to bring you a recap, two episodes I'm putting together, which have been really valuable to our listeners. Certainly so many of my clients have told me how helpful they found these two episodes to be. And the second of the two episodes that you're going to hear together today is actually the most popular episode of Therapy Chat that's ever aired. So today I'm bringing you a recap of my two interviews with Dr. Janice Webb, who coined the term childhood emotional neglect and has written about it in her two books, Running on Empty and Running on Empty No More. And the second episode, the one about how childhood emotional neglect impacts relationships and what to do about it is related to her most recent book, which is Running on Empty No More. So I hope you will enjoy listening to these two episodes and I'd love to know your thoughts. I'm hoping to be able to pull together some other celebratory things, maybe a contest for the fifth anniversary of Therapy Chat. It just seems like a pretty big deal to me to be reaching five years when I know that many podcasts fade out within six months because doing a podcast is a ton of work. So having the five-year birthday and three million downloads, milestones happening at the same time is really cool. 
And I feel like that's something special to celebrate. So I'm trying to get myself together and put put together some fun ideas to celebrate that. Right. So without any further ado, let's just dive right into this week's episode. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Janice Webb, a clinical psychologist, blogger for Psych Central, and author of the book, Running on Empty, Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect. Janice, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. I was really excited to be speaking with you because I've read so many of your blog posts on childhood emotional neglect, and they really resonated as a way to help clients dealing with this issue understand the concept because it's it's really kind of a abstract concept. And so mm-hmm. I was hoping you could just kind of start by talking a little bit about what childhood emotional neglect is. My definition, I'll give you the definition. I'll explain why I define it that way. Okay. I define it as a parent's failure to respond enough to the child's emotional needs. And the emphasis is on the words enough and the word emotional, because I find that the mental health profession, we really tend to lump all kinds of neglect together uh, with each other, like physical neglect gets lumped in with emotional neglect, and those get lumped in with abuse as well. So those words get um, kind of confusing, and people will sometimes be using the word neglect when they're actually talking about abuse, or they'll be using the word emotional neglect when they're actually talking about physical neglect. So what I'm trying to do is separate out just this one sort of very difficult to see and remember factor, which I think has a tremendous, it takes a huge toll on people. Absolutely. So how did you identify the issue of childhood emotional neglect? I um I have a private practice and I just kept seeing, you know, one after another patient in my practice in which the, they would claim that they had a fine childhood and good parents who loved them and all of that, yet they were experiencing depression or anxiety or um, having some kind of symptom. And I started to notice a pattern of people, you know, again, who claimed their childhood was, was quite good, you know, with these sort of empty feelings and uh, feeling like they didn't belong no matter where they went and questioning themselves a lot, um, having either anxiety or depression. And I, I just started thinking, what could be the cause of this? Because all these people seem to have one thing in common, but it's not, nothing from their childhood that I could find. And then I, it just sort of gradually all coalesced and came together that all of these people had grown up in households where their parents, yes, loved them, but did not notice what they were feeling or respond to it. And some of them got some response, but just not enough. So I think that is part of what makes it so hard to be aware of and see is that our clients don't remember what didn't happen for them and they can't report it to us and they don't see it. Even if we point it out, it's hard for them to see it. Yes, exactly. So the thinking back and saying, no, there, you know, there was nothing. I had a happy childhood. My mom stayed home with us. You know, she was always there. She baked cookies. And one construct that I've been able to kind of hold on to is maybe she was depressed or maybe she was really busy with other kids if, you know, you know, had a large family or, um, maybe her emotional needs were never met. And so she didn't know how to really be there for yours. But, mm-hmm. you know, those are like, you know, you're kind of grasping at straws and clients are like, Oh, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> you know, so uh-huh. <laughs> I like how in your book, um, you're able to 
identify different types of parenting styles, which can result in the feeling that the child's emotional needs were not met. Yeah, I identify 12 different types. And you know, there's an infinite amount of different varieties of parents out there, of course. But um, there were 12, there are 12 that I see repeatedly over and over. And the, the largest group, I think, is the one you mentioned last, which is I call them the WMBNT parents, well-meaning but neglected themselves. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who, you know, love their children and want to do right by them, but don't understand how they don't know that they're supposed to understand how their child is feeling or respond to it. Mm-hmm. So the child's feelings don't get attended to. And the message that the child hears is my feelings don't matter. And a child's feelings are the most deeply personal biological part of who that child is. So the real message is you don't matter. Yes. And the child grows up with this deeply entrenched, unnameable feeling that she doesn't matter. And she just lives with that and always feels kind of defective. And I call it the fatal flaw feeling like there's just something, you know, wrong with me that there's no explanation for. So it's got to just be my own weakness. And a lot comes from that because then the the adult, you know, ends up blaming themselves and feeling defective and questioning themselves, never really quite feeling valid. And they end up treating their own emotions the same way their parents treated their emotions. They push them away, they ignore them, and they're missing out in this way on a huge part of life. Yes. And and then when they become parents, they repeat the pattern. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. don't know how to attend to their children's needs any more than their parents did. Yeah. I think it's just insidious and it gets passed, you know, down very invisibly from one generation to another and no one knows what's wrong. Yeah, it is so insidious. Mm hmm. So I love the book. I haven't finished it, but I've, as soon as I started reading it, I was sucked in. And because it relates so much to the clients I work with, um, I'm just devouring every word. And so I'm really glad you wrote it. I think people can see their, their stories reflected in the examples you give in the book. And I think it really will help people to and probably has been helping people ever since you wrote it to um, identify this is what's been missing for me. This is why I feel, you know, fatally flawed, as you said. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you like the book. And I feel like it is accomplishing that. I mean, I get I get comments and emails from people all over the world saying that they feel like it, it hits them at their core. Um, so many people have said, you have to know my family to have written this book. <laughs> <laughs> So I think, um, you know, I think it helps people feel like deeply understood in some way that they never have before. And that makes me very, very happy. I love it when that, when I get those messages. Yes, it's wonderful that you've, you've done this. So how can people learn whether or not they have been affected by childhood emotional neglect? That is a really good question. And it's something that was uh, a big question for me for a long time. And then when I started writing the book, I developed a what I call the emotional neglect questionnaire, Mm. which is designed for adults. And because you can't just ask someone, were you emotionally neglected? Because unless it was very severe, they won't realize it. So the questions are... um, about their adult experience. And it's basically a list of symptoms that I see in emotionally neglected people a lot. And then um, I think it's uh, 22 questions or something like that. 
And if you, you know, I, I feel bad because I haven't been able to get any psychometric um, studies done on it yet, although I'm working on that right now. But um, I basically say if you answer yes to six or more, there's a good chance that you grow up with some emotional neglect. Yeah. And, you know, um, psychometrics aside, and they'll come people can just use this as like, does this describe me? And, you know, just sort of a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people take it and they don't understand it at all. And they, they're just like, this is, this is ridiculous. This has nothing to do with me. <laughs> and then other people read it and say, okay, how did you make this? Because this describes me perfectly. Yeah. So I think it's the people who it really hits home with when they read the list. Those are the people that, you know, really grew up with a childhood that was defined by emotional neglect. So I think it's a very valid instrument based on my, you know, the experience I've had with it. Yeah. Well, I, I know that you have been a psychotherapist for a long time and um, longer than I have. But it's the examples in the book really hit home with, you know, what the issues are that my clients bring. Mm -hmm. So it's very right on. Well, good. Yeah, I tried to give examples um, of it happening to a child. And then also examples of like real life vignettes of my clients and stories of people who have realized their, you know, how it happened to them and what they needed to do to heal. Speaking of which, how can people heal from this? It's a, it's a, a process of, I'll, I'll just take you through the steps that I usually use. Great. The first is, and I, I think it's very tempting to skip over the first step because I've done it many times. I've made that mistake myself with many people before I realized, oh, this is not working. The first step is to fully recognize and accept that emotional neglect happened in your childhood and accept the full effects that it's had on you throughout your life. That step is hugely important because when someone goes through that process, they start forgiving themselves. They stop feeling so flawed because they have an explanation for what's wrong and they stop being so angry at themselves and blaming themselves and they stop feeling defective because they have this understanding and they realize that there is a cure for it, a fix for it. And it really starts the person off on the right foot. Yeah. So I think step one is just huge. Um, step two, hopefully the person is ready to roll at that point and motivated. They usually are. Step two is to welcome back and get in touch with all of those emotions that were walled off in childhood and that are still walled off. So I use this I have a lot, most of this is in the book. It's um, sort of a, I call it the identifying and naming exercise mm. in which the, you know, you teach the person how to get in touch with their feelings. A lot of CEN people use the word numb to describe themselves. Yes. Or they say, I don't have feelings. And um, there's this like this resistance to the, to even like, it's sort of like you're talking about something that's not even ever been on their radar screen. Mm. And so um, it can be a little little tricky to get them to start welcoming their feelings in, but self-monitoring helps and using this sort of meditative technique where they focus their attention inward and try to ask themselves what they feel. And then they, you know, I put them through sort of like an emotional training course because having your emotions walled off from childhood causes, I think it's one of the main causes of low emotional intelligence. Mm. How can you learn about something that you don't have access to yourself and how can you understand it? So I really do a lot of emotional training with people. 
you know, about how to recognize their emotions, how to accept them. A lot of CEN people um, get angry at themselves for having a feeling and that or they second guess their feelings a lot. So challenging all of that and getting them to actually feel and learn about their feelings and be able to see feelings in other people, those kinds of things. And then there's um, helping them use people actually start being kind of different in the world at that point. You can see them soften a little bit. You can see them feeling a little more, either more or less comfortable um, with themselves. And um, they start interacting differently. And sometimes the people around them are surprised and don't know how to react to it. But so I try to help them start inserting their emotions into their relationships to make their relationships deeper and more two-sided because emotionally neglected people tend to be givers and they're very focused on other people's feelings and needs yeah. because this is how they grew up, right? Mm-hmm. It was all about what was happening in the family, not what was happening within them. So I try to help them start to pay more attention to themselves and talk more and share more and be more present in their relationships. Wow. Yeah. It really works too. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm thinking attachment, connection. And again, it's so hard to talk about attachment when you only know what you know and not what you didn't get. So um, this is great. I think the framework that you have in the book will be, I like how it's just so clear, you know, just so step by step. Yeah, it is. It's kind of um, deceptively, it's really kind of simple in a way, uh, the whole the whole thing, especially for therapists. I think if, if a therapist is open to this idea, it really can be helpful. I know that when I first started thinking this way, I see it now so much, like I see it everywhere. You just start seeing it everywhere once you really have on your mind. Yeah, I really think that I don't know if I'm right about this, but it seems like certain generations were kind of raised that way that, you know, it's more important to just sort of provide a certain image that people see from the outside than it is to tune into how the children actually feel and what they're going through. I know you said like a lot of baby boomers were raised. Well, that's not just um, childhood emotional neglect, but that was a particular type of parenting, I think, where a lot of baby boomers had. Oh, the authoritarian parent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I think that that the generation above um, the baby boomers were very, very, you know, they had a lot more struggle. Mm -hmm. They lived through the depression. They, a lot of them were immigrants and they came from other, you know, the Holocaust happened. Right. And so I think that um, there's a whole generation of people that were pretty traumatized and just basically were trying to survive and they didn't have the luxury of paying attention to what they were feeling. Absolutely. And so, you know, I guess if you think about the parents who gave birth to the baby boomers and then the baby boomers were the biggest generation, you know, Ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, wonder there are so many people who feel this way. And then if, if baby boomers have children and, um, you know, their emotional needs weren't met when they were children, then they have children and they don't know how to do it. Than the next generation. So, I mean, that just really, because it really does seem very pervasive. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's exactly why. Yeah. There's also a bit of a backlash where baby boomers, um, 
often, you know, the whole helicopter parenting Mm -hmm. phenomenon, I think is somewhat of a backlash to CEM because um, parents who grew up emotionally ignored can tend to can try to fix this. And I've seen this, you know, multiple times, they try to fix it by over attending to their child. And that doesn't work either, because that ends up being, you know, obviously a problem of a different sort. Yeah. And it's, you know, maybe the parent trying to protect the child from ever feeling any discomfort, it's still the parent trying to meet their own emotional needs through the child. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Very interesting. Well, I I just, I think this topic is completely fascinating. And I'm so glad that you are out there talking about it and that you agreed to talk about it here. So um, you talked about how people can heal from this and you kind of gave a framework that therapists can consider. What else would you want clinicians to know about childhood emotional neglect? I'm in the process of trying to put together a, a, a training for, you know, continuing education credits for therapists. Um, but that's taking some time and I'm trying to get a research project done first so that I'll have some research to back up what I'm talking about. Um, so that's going to take a little, a little while. Um, in the meantime, I'm putting together a um, page on my website. I get emails and messages from people literally all over the world who say they really want to, they've read the book, they really want to work on this and they, they want to know where they can find a therapist who's a specialist and in, in childhood emotional neglect. So I'm trying to put together a page on my website that will list people who uh, are licensed providers of uh, mental health providers who um, have read the book and would like to work with people on this. So if anyone is interested, they should send me an email, which would be great. Wonderful. And how would people email you? You can find my, you can email me through my website, but my email address is just simply jweb, J-W-E-B-B-P-H-D at R-C-N as in nancy.com. Okay. And then your website is emotionalneglect.com. So that's easy to remember. Yeah, that's very easy to remember. So they can um, contact you one of those two ways. And that um, I think that's an amazing resource that you're putting together because obviously you're one person and everyone is like, help me. I have childhood neg- emotional neglect. Yes, like. <laughs> yes. It's kind of a, it's sort of flooding in a way. Yeah. And a, a lot of people want to do Skype with me, but I don't, I don't do, I don't do Skype therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and pl- I really believe in, I prefer to refer people to, you know, have in-person therapy. So I think it would be wonderful if that could work out. Yeah, especially when you're talking about trying to work on attachment and connection stuff, uh, you know, that's Yeah, yeah. The in-person really helps have piece the person really there. helps. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'm doing is um I have a an online CEN treatment program that I ran once last year and uh it went really really great. It's very intensive and targeted and I'm going to run that again in April. So, and I had a few therapists in it who were great to have be a part of it. So, that is for people who've experienced childhood emotional neglect and want to work through it using this online program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. And and how do they access that? How do people register? If you sign up for my newsletter on my website, uh, once I start it, it will, it'll all be on there and information about how, how to sign up. Great. And this episode will initially air before April 2016. So um, for people who are going to be listening after that time, if they miss your registration, they'll just have to go on your website and see what else you have going on at the time. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
Well, right. this this has been so interesting. And how can regular people who are not professionals learn more about childhood emotional neglect? They can read everything on my website. They can go to my blog on psychcentral.com, which is um, where most of everything I've written. I, re- I write a new blog on there every week, and I address a different aspect of childhood emotional neglect every single week on there. So that's a real, very rich resource. Yes. I don't know of anyone else who's really writing or talking about this issue. So I wish I had some other yeah, they just <laughs> other have resources to, to offer. They'll have to go on your website. That's the yeah, way. that's pretty much it. <laughs> Good. No, I think your blog is an amazing resource. And um, the articles, again, they're so relatable. And they're just written in a really down to earth way that's easy to understand. So yeah, I try to write them um, the way that I would talk to someone who was in my office. That's my goal. Yeah, so that people can read it and just feel like I'm talking to them personally. Well, I think that people should get your book, which is called Running on Empty, Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect, and visit your website and read your blog posts and sign up for your course and (laughs) all of the above. I mean, really, if you know, it's such a it's such a difficult thing. And you've got such great information and help available. So I think it's really wonderful. Thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Jenny, so much for being here. I really find this to be fascinating. And I can't wait to get back to reading the book. I think it's going to be really helpful to many of my clients. So I'm going to be recommending it all over the place. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes and there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give Therapy Notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code TherapyChat. Now let's get back to our interview. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm thrilled to be bringing back to you a guest who was on Therapy Chat last year and everyone found, so many people told me how helpful hearing her interview was. So my guest today is Dr. Janice Webb. Janice, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat. Hi, Laura. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy too. The subject of childhood emotional neglect has just been, it's more and more obvious that it affects so many people and certainly so many people who come through 
the doors of my practice. So I'm just excited to talk more with you about what you've been doing and the new stuff you have going on. So why don't we just start off for anyone who isn't familiar with you, if you can just talk a little bit more about yourself and your work. Sure. Well, I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been practicing around 20 years now, believe it or not. Hard for me to believe, but I have a private practice in the Boston area and I wrote my first book, Running on Empty, Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect in 2012. And that was because I had realized that there was just not, this This was a very overlooked topic and I was seeing how very powerful it was. And so that book came out in exactly five years ago. And since then I've been blogging. I have a childhood emotional neglect blog on Psych Central and I've developed an online program for recovery from childhood emotional neglect, which I call CEN for short. It's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> and um, now I have my second book coming out, um, which is called Running on Empty No More, Transform your relationships with your partner, your parents, and your children. And that will be out November 7th. So got a lot going on. Yeah, it's so exciting. Um, I've been fortunate enough to look at your book before it comes out. I feel very lucky about that. Thank you. And um, it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's so practical. It's very clear and there are examples and it's step by step. So I think it's going to help a ton of people. As I mentioned to you before we started recording, I'll be ordering multiple copies to loan out because I know my clients will really benefit. So will you give us a little review of what childhood emotional neglect is for anyone who may be unfamiliar with that concept? Yes, absolutely. My definition of childhood emotional neglect is simply a parent's failure to respond enough to a child's emotional needs. And so emotional neglect can happen in childhood, but the effects of it are very pernicious and invisible, but they stay with you. And if your emotional, if your emotions are under-responded to by your parents as you're growing up, you are launched into adulthood, missing some vital tools that other people have. And also with some feelings that you're not supposed to have, you know, if if everything goes right. And it really just doesn't go away until you recognize what's going on. And once you do, it changes everything. So that's where the incredible power of this of this understanding comes in is that there is a clear path to recovery. It's just really hard to see it in the first place. So that's my goal is to bring this topic into the light and help people start to see that their childhood was really missing a vital ingredient and how it's affecting them now. Yeah. And so we talked last time about how childhood emotional neglect is not about what your parents did to you, but what didn't happen. Right. Exactly. So a lot of, you know, of course, parents who are, you know, really narcissistic or addicts, or, you know, abusive, of course, emotional neglect will happen there. But even in those parent-child relationships, the child will grow up to remember that the parent was a narcissist, very possibly, or was an addict, but they, the child will not grow up to remember what their parent failed to do for them. And the other thing is that I think the, the most 
common type of parent-child relationship that this happens in is actually loving, caring parents. It's parents who really want the best for their children and are trying to, to give them everything, perhaps materially, perhaps they love their child, but they just themselves don't understand emotions enough or how they work in order to respond enough to their children's emotional needs. So it really is what's missing in the picture. It's the parent, for whatever reason, failing to notice when a child, what a child is feeling and engaging with a child and talking with a child about that, teaching the child emotion skills. Many, 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 many people grew up without enough of all of that rich emotional connection and empathy and education. And it's really affecting their lives now. So what are some of the effects that someone would have if they have experienced childhood emotional neglect? I know that it's pretty broad and varied, but can you sort of summarize what they yeah. might be? Well, it's funny. In a way, it's broad and varied, but it's it's also very clear. Like I now can see it in my clients when they, you know, in our first session, I can pretty much see it because it has such a clear footprint. Mm. And that footprint might lead to, you know, depression or anxiety or relationship problems. But the core problem is just that they grew up getting this message because their parents weren't responding to their emotions enough that they received the message loud and clear as a child, your emotions are either irrelevant or they're unacceptable. And so they've pushed the emotion, their own feelings away to cope, which was very resourceful at the time and probably worked in some way to get them through in their childhood home. But this leaves you in adulthood lacking some, you know, one of the most vital resources that we all need to live our lives in a really healthy and productive and energetic way. And that is our emotions. And knowing how to engage and use your emotions is such a key to happiness. So people who grow up this way can end up feeling this sort of an emptiness and a lack of connection to others. There's a sense that other people have some vital ingredient that they don't have. And, you know, a person with CEN might look around and see people, you know, doing all kinds of things and being all kinds of ways and saying, what do those people have that I don't have? And but they might look back on their childhood and say, well, geez, my parents gave me everything. This has got to be some flaw in me. What's my problem? I should be happier. And um, so people who grow up this way end up often blaming the problem on themselves and feeling like they were just born with some essential flaw. I call it the fatal flaw because I've heard this described by so many different people. And so there's, you know, an element of self-directed anger and self-blame. And some some people even get angry at themselves just for having feelings. And, you know, it can be a battle. It takes a lot of energy to push your feelings away. And it takes so much less energy to just let yourself feel your feelings. And if you know how to process them, it makes all the difference. So it's just a lack of emotion tools as well, emotion skills. So that's the basic footprint. Yeah, something you said really jumped out at me. The kind of thing that I hear a lot is I should be happy. What's wrong with me that I can't enjoy the wonderful life that I have? My I had wonderful parents. Now I have, you know, a loving spouse, wonderful children. I have a great job. You know, why can't I be happy? 
and and be really beating themselves up about I should be happier. I should be able to get over whatever this thing is that I've kind of felt my whole life. Exactly. I I would say if I had to choose one statement that most represents someone who grew up this way, it would be I should be happier than I am or I should be enjoying life more than I am because there's an element of feeling flawed and there's an element of self-blame and there's just some missing ingredient to that statement. And the missing ingredient is, of course, emotional connection and emotional validation in childhood. So how would someone know if they've experienced childhood emotional neglect? And you just described a lot of ways someone might feel. Do you think the person who has experienced childhood emotional neglect would be able to see themselves in what you were just saying? Some people do, but a lot of people really struggle with it. And part of the problem is because when this problem is rooted in your childhood. Literally, your identity developed around all of this. So you don't even, a lot of people don't even know that everyone else doesn't feel this way. I've heard that from so many folks, like, doesn't everyone feel like, you know, they're on the outside looking in? Doesn't everybody feel like they're unfulfilled? And my answer is no, everybody does not feel that way. But when it's just such a part of your identity, it can be really hard to realize that it's not the way it should be. And you just accept it as how life is. So this is why I developed the the emotional neglect questionnaire, Mm. which is on my website and it's free for anyone who wants to take it. It's a list of 20, 20 some um, seemingly probably unrelated questions. But every question I, I chose very carefully because they the questions really identify people who have grown up this way. That's wonderful. I'll be sure to put a link to that questionnaire in the show notes. And I love that. I just want to emphasize this. I love that you have the questionnaire that helps people find find out, do I have childhood emotional neglect? And then you have so many resources to help people with your first book, this book, the course, which I would love if you could take a second to talk a little bit more about what that is. And then you also have kind of like a resource page for people who want to find a therapist who understands and is skilled in working with childhood emotional neglect for people to get connected with therapists. So it's not just like, oh, hey, this is a problem and you might have it, but I'll also, here's here are many different ways that you can get help. Yes, exactly. It is it is amazing. I mean, I think I have like around 200 licensed therapists on my list now, um, all across the world, who really who have either read Running on Empty and said and you know expressed an interest and said I want to help people with this. Some of them have watched my um, my training for therapists, and other people have taken my online program. But all of these therapists really do understand. And when they get a call from someone, they know exactly what they're talking about. And uh, I think it's just great that there are so many people getting help with this. I do, too. And I am just so grateful to you for helping really in a very dedicated way, just helping to raise awareness about this issue and help more people get help with it. It's it's a passion. I'm definitely driven to do this. And uh, I think it's it's really good for me too. Yeah. So who would be a candidate for your course? For the online course? Yeah. Well, there are two levels of it. Um, The first level is like four videos that are free and they're just chock full of information about how to know if you have CEN and if you and how to recover from it. And then there's a more intensive online program, which is 
It's all made up of videos and homework. And the videos are me talking. So you have to be able to listen, you know, tolerate listening to me talk for (laughs) for a few different videos. And um, there is also a biweekly Q&A call where I answer. It's a group call where I answer um, the members questions as they do the work. And there's also an online forum where people share their experiences and talk about what they're working on and help each other in the process. That's great. I didn't even realize that it had those live components. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really, you know, I I was getting so many requests from people asking if I would do Skype treatment and I don't do Skype treatment. And this seemed like, you know, it, it allows people from who live anywhere. Really, I have people in it from all over the world. And it, I just think it's um, so nice to have the internet and be able to do this these days and reach people from so many areas of the world. It's amazing how the internet has really made the world smaller. People yeah. aren't limited as much in, you know, being able to connect. Yes, I think it's fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. So in your newest book, you talk about how childhood emotional neglect shows up in many ways in our lives. Can you talk a little bit about how it affects relationships? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that partly why I wrote this second book is because once you realize that you grew up with CEN, you start to see your relationship with your parents in a different light. You know, you can imagine you you have these parents your whole life and you have this one way of viewing your relationship with them. And then suddenly you realize that they gave you so much, but they didn't give you this one really important ingredient, which is emotional validation. And once you see that, it starts to affect how you feel about your parents. So um, the same thing happens in your marriage or with your partner, uh, because you start to see how your own CEN is affecting that relationship. And also it can, you can start to see because childhood emotional neglect is so invisible, it just transfers from one generation. It's no one's fault. It's just how it is. And so therefore, a lot of people start to see it, how, you know, how they're passing it to their kids as well, which is a really hard thing to cope with. And but the great thing is there are answers. There are really clear things you can do differently in all three of those relationships that can change your relationship. And so that's what this book is about, how exactly to go about that and what to do. I love it because it is so clear and just something that seems so overwhelming and confusing. You break it down into an explanation that people can easily follow. Yeah. And a a big part of what I want to do is take the guilt out of it because I think especially parents feel they're afraid to look at, at this or think about it because the idea that you are passing emotional neglect to your own children is just, you just don't want to think about that. However, thousands and thousands and millions of people are doing this um, without realizing it. And they're wonderful people and they want to do what's best. They just don't realize that this is, you know, something they should be doing. And it's so, um, I don't want to say it's easy to fix, but it's so fixable. And so it just makes sense to, to try to do that repair work. And it doesn't matter what age your kids are. You know, there's a section for small children and one for adolescents and one for adult children, because the way that you try to repair the relationship is different depending on the age of the child, of course. But guilt is really just not, not a factor here. We're just taking it out of the equation. Yeah. It's kind of like you have to be able to say, this isn't about you 
being bad and it isn't about kind of black and white thinking. It's just you realize there's something that can change for the benefit of everyone. And so you say, it's worth it. I'm brave enough to give it a try. Yes. It does. Yes. Courage. Exactly. I think, you know, that I'm so impressed by how people are able to grab this concept and make so many changes in their lives. I just think it, I know it requires so much courage and anyone who does that should feel very proud of themselves. I think most people do. Yeah, definitely. I think something you said really stood out for me that it doesn't matter how old your kids are. I think you you could be, you know, for one thing, I'm 45. So I'm not I haven't lived my whole life yet. But I know that at any age, a repair in a relationship can happen. And it can basically it's just once the repair is made, it doesn't matter what happened before. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. It, it can really that's why I put the word transform in the title of this book, because I think that um, when when you start to deal with emotion in a healthy, way in a relationship, it literally does transform how you feel about the other person and how they feel about you. And it just adds this emotional glue um, that was not quite there before. And it feels really good. So I think if you grew up with childhood emotional neglect, and you're married, or you have children, or you have a partner, then there are definitely clear things that you can do that will make a tremendous difference no matter how old you are. Yeah. So I I guess one thing I want to emphasize for people who are listening is no matter how old you get, if you've experienced childhood emotional neglect, you're going to wish you could have that. You're still going to be wishing you had that from your parents, that emotional attunement that you didn't receive. I mean, going to therapy obviously can help with that. You don't have to ever receive it from your parents to be able to feel better, but it doesn't I guess the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't get better just as you get older. Like most people think, well, I'm 65. Why would I, Mm -hmm. you know, still be upset that my parents didn't give me what I needed? It's like because it doesn't go away by itself. (laughs) You and I have heard that so many times from our clients, haven't we? Yes. And that's um, it really is just built into the human brain, that need for approval and emotional connection and nurturance from one's parent. It's just built into our biology. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. It does not go away until you face it. Right. And on the other side, if a parent is 80, 85 years old, and they're wishing they could repair their relationship with their child and feels distant, and they they have these things they wish they could say, but they feel like it's too late. It's not too late if the child's open to to working on the relationship because it's not like they turned 18 and then it's over and you missed your chance to ever repair your relationship. Yeah, it is absolutely never too late. And I would even take what you said further and say, even if the child's not open, there are ways to try to open that door. And there are strategies that you can use. And I have a bunch of those in my book for people that have children that are just so distant. Mm. There are ways to knock on their wall and say, okay, you know, here's what went wrong. I see it now. I want to fix this. And that just for a parent to say that to a, you know, it doesn't matter a 45 year old man or a 50 year old woman or whoever, it's definitely healing no matter what it's healing. I like what you said there because it's the parents saying, I realize something happened and I'm willing, I realize like what I need to change and here's how I want to address it with you versus, you know, there's this thing where 
children become estranged from their families of origin and the family tries to get them not to be estranged without acknowledging why the person doesn't want to be connected. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. you know, and that just feels intrusive to the person who's saying, no, I don't feel like you're healthy for me. I don't want to be close anymore. Exactly. And there are so many people in this world whose parents failed them emotionally, but they don't realize that. But they also have this deep feeling of kind of resentment or anger that pops its head up, you know, in their relationship. And they're kind of baffled by it. Like, well, I shouldn't feel resentful of my mother like this, or I shouldn't be so angry at my parents. And why, you know, why do I snap at them? And it really is because some part of your brain recognizes that your parents didn't validate you and didn't really see you because they didn't see what you felt as your child. And if the parent can recognize that and reach out and say, look, I've realized something and I want to see if we can fix this. And the words emotional neglect can be so powerful in that um, framework because they're words that a parent can use with a child, a child can use with a parent, a spouse can use to another, you know, a partner. And it's their healing words when they're used right. Yeah. Do you think that someone has to have that conversation? Like, let's say I'm 45. Let's say I had a parent I wanted to address the effects of childhood emotional neglect with, and they weren't open to it. Would it be necessary for me to be to have that conversation with them in order to for me to heal? Absolutely not. And um, that's one of the things that I tried to cover really thoroughly in this book is how how to go about making the decision about whether to try to talk with um, whether it's your parents or your partner or your children um, about this topic. It's not an easy decision to make. And it really have to weigh a lot of different variables. For some people, there's a lot of potential for other people. They have absolutely no idea how the other party is going to react. And with your parents, there are definitely some risks involved as well. So, and some risks are worth taking and some aren't. So it's a, it's a complicated process to decide whether it makes sense or not, but it's absolutely not a requirement to heal. That's good to know. I think people need to hear that because, you know, it can be like, hmm, do I have a childhood emotional neglect? I'm going to talk to my parent about it. They won't be open to it. And then the whole thing just, they shut it down for themselves and they just say, they kind of abandoned the whole idea that it, that it could change. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm sure that happens often. Yeah, no doubt. So one thing I'm really curious about that you talked about in both books, and I'd like to explore it a little bit here is elixithymia. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is and how it relates to childhood emotional neglect? Yes. Alexithymia is basically, I think that the very specific definition of it, um, and this is a word that basically only therapists use, I think. I don't think lay people use this word at all. <laughs> well, I've seen it in some blogs. So sometimes people are like, I think my spouse has alexithymia. So, yeah, you know, it's a big word. It's a it is. <laughs> Um, it basically just means the inability to identify and name your emotions. And I've since I wrote the first book, I've expanded that into what I think really is involved is a struggle with emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, emotional intelligence like Dan Goleman talks about, which are the emotion skills, being able to identify your own feelings Um, you know, tolerate and express your own feelings and see what other people are feeling and respond to them appropriately. Those are the skills of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
if you grow up in a household where feelings are not, you know, expressed in an open and comfortable way, then you don't really learn those skills. And childhood is the training ground for that. That's when you you need to learn them. And if you don't, then when you grow up, you have a hard time knowing when you're having a feeling, knowing, being able to allow yourself to feel that feeling and name that feeling, decide if you should share that feeling with another person and be able to, if you do talk with them, be able to tell what they're feeling and respond to that. And those are all such important skills in order to be able to have really rich and fulfilling relationships. The great thing is you can learn them. You can learn them as an adult. So if you missed out, as long as you understand, oh, here's what happened. I didn't learn these. Now I can. It's it's has an amazing effect. So with alexithymia, then it's not a permanent condition where someone is never going to be able to learn how to name and express and identify other people's emotions and tolerate them. It's not a fixed thing. It's something that can change. It's only fixed if you don't know what's going on and you don't know that it, that you can fix it. But it's very, very fixable. It really is. Okay. So that's, I appreciate you explaining that because I do think I've heard some people talk about it where they're almost seeing it as, oh, there's a relationship where one partner is unable to, you know, identify emotions. So they will never be able to have a connected relationship because the one partner's unable just permanently. Yeah, I think there's a lot of common wisdom out there about that being just how a person is. And it makes sense because it seems so intractable. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've known people um, and everyone who's listening knows people who are emotionally shut down. And it does feel like it's just their personality and it's just how they are. Right. Um, But I, I cannot say with any more confidence that that is not the case, that anyone who understands what's wrong and wants to fix it can fix it. I haven't run into a single person who hasn't been able to do that. I like that. That's a good endorsement there. (laughs) So one of the things you're talking about is being able to learn how to identify your own and other people's emotions. Is that something you cover in the book or is that something that people would learn another way if if they don't have it? I have it in the book and I have it in my program. And it really is is a process of, it's kind of, part of it is remarkably simple. The first step is just to start paying attention. There is a certain mindset that you have when you grow up with CEN that emotions are not on your radar screen. And if one makes it on there, you quickly try to shove it away. And this all happens even unconsciously. You don't even realize what you're doing a lot of the time. And if you change that mindset and you decide that you you want to know what you're feeling and start paying attention, that alone can make a difference. And then I also created a an exercise that is in my first book. And it's also, I do it with people in the online program. And it's basically a combination of mindfulness and emotion naming, where you turn your attention inward and you tune into what you're feeling. And if you do this often enough, at first you'll come up with nothing, but eventually you'll start breaking through that wall that's blocking you from your feelings and you'll start to have feelings. It really does work. It sounds so simple and it actually, it is in a way, it's just you have to actually keep practicing. It takes persistence. 
and an effort and a little bit of time. And some people, for some people, it's harder than it is for others. But if a person, if someone really wants to, I don't know how many people I've had come into my office and say, I don't have feelings. I just don't. And, mm. you know, we start to work on this and they do. It turns out they do have feelings. <laughs> Imagine that. They're really in there the whole time. Yep. They're there. They really are. I can relate to this so much because when I was younger, I was always described as an overly sensitive and super emotional person. So that was the way I saw myself. But because of that, I had also somehow learned to like shut off my connection to my feelings. Mm -hmm. And so I had a sense of myself as this very emotional person, but I was really disconnected from my feelings. So I'm sure it would have been confusing to a therapist if I were telling them that I'm this super emotional person. But yet, if they were to ask me how I felt, I probably I probably could tell them, I think I feel this and but not feel it. Mm -hmm. And I see that with my clients a lot. So I think because of my own experience of learning what it's like to be disconnected from your feelings and then what it's like when you actually get reconnected, the difference is like being, I say this to clients, it's like, it's like you were coated in, like you were encased in ice and then, you know, somebody came with a hairdryer and just <laughs> slowly thawed <laughs> you, you know, and you're like, oh, all that's in there. Yes. Yes. I like to say that um, it's like, it's like colorizing your world mm -hmm. because when you're living with without your emotions, it really, the world feels kind of black and white. And then when you start getting in touch with your emotions, it brings color. It's like the, the vividness of life comes from inside yourself. So true. And I think that's a, a wonderful point to end with because the, you know, I can see that some people would think, well, why do I need emotions anyway? I can just, you know, why isn't it fine to just go on feeling really numb all the time? But it's the joy that you don't get to experience and the the wonder and awe of all the good things that there are in life and the love and connection. It's so beautiful and powerful to be able to experience those. And when you're walking around feeling like you're seeing everything in black and white or you're encased in ice, you, you're just there. Mm -hmm, exactly. And the negative emotions are the same. Being able to feel angry or feel hurt or feel and being able to put that into words and let those feelings tell you what you need to do is just as useful as the positive emotions too. Right. And I think that, you know, it's that trying to numb the ones we don't like that ends up. We lose the good ones too. Exactly. We pre are prevented from feeling them as well. Yeah. Well, I am really, really excited for your book to come out November 7th. And I think that this episode will probably be coming out just shortly before the book does. So hopefully everyone will get really excited and go buy it as soon as they can. Can people pre-order it now? Yes. On my on my website, they can order it. Okay, from Amazon or any other. It's only um, available online to pre-order. Okay, so if if this comes out before November seventh, as I think it will, then I'll be sure to put a link to pre-ordering, so people who get really excited can just go right on and you know have a copy in their mailbox on hopefully on November seventh. Yeah, great. So why don't you tell our audience where they can find all of the amazing things you have going on? Everything is on my website. And um, the questionnaire, you have to get that through a link. 
and also the book pre-order. You have to get it through a link. So I'll send you those links to put on um, your website. But um, essentially to get to sign up to take the questionnaire, actually, you can do that through my website. You just have to enter your email. But um, it's perfectly safe. Of course, I never do anything with anyone's email. (laughs) And that puts you on my newsletter, too. And the online program, I open it for for signups a few times a year. And if you're a member of my newsletter, I let you know when that starts, when the free videos start. Great. So what is your website? It's emotionalneglect.com. Easy to remember. Yes. Awesome. So I'll put that and all the links you're going to give me in the show notes. And thank you, Janice, so much for coming back on to Therapy Chat and talking to us again today. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking with you. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.